All right, well, you can keep your Bibles open or your phones to Ephesians 5 as we continue through this series we've been going through Ephesians and becoming who we are. Becoming who we are. I, as many of you uh, regulars know, I get to uh, drive for a lift um, once a week and I have all kinds of very interesting conversations with people of all different kinds of backgrounds, of beliefs. And I remember uh, meeting uh, a few months ago this uh, young woman uh, around my age, maybe a little younger, who was telling me how she was a Christian and how she received at, a, at one point to this calling into ministry. And I remember asking her, asking, just asking questions, get to know her, and all right, tell, tell me more about that, and, and okay, why not? Why haven't you pursued that? And she said, you know, you know, Pastor, I just have some, I would just want to have some fun. You know, I have some fun. I need to get in first. You know, I, I like alcohol. Oh, okay, I said. I was like, yeah, you know, I just, I just have some clubbing I need to do first. And I was just shocked. I, I didn't know how to respond to this woman. And looking back on it, I wish I would have just... I was so frustrated afterwards letting her, letting her off and wish, man, I would have just pulled the car over right then and said, wait, sister, you're, you've been very, very sincere about your faith in Christ, but that, no, what, what is going on? No, I don't think you do have a call to ministry. No, just Jesus doesn't need you if that's your attitude to him. That, all right, there isn't satisfaction and joy to be had in Christ. That you're thinking, oh, I need, I need to have some other fun before I, I get really serious about my faith. She thought that there would be no consequences for her actions. She thinks that it's okay for true followers to walk in darkness. And that's right where Paul, in this passage, is encouraging us as believers. That that's not the attitude that real believers do. We walk in the light. We can ask ourselves, how can we prevent ourselves from walking in the darkness of the same deception that this woman was? You see, she had tasted the light in some measure, but how long had she been walking toward darkness? I asked, how far had she gone before her senses were dulled to oh, what the light was? And she started dismissing these things in God in her life. The same lies from the pit of hell can come against us that says that the world satisfies more than Christ does. That is such an empty lie. We too could be tempted to partake in the same things and partner with sin in different ways. How can we be lulled to sleep by the lies of the enemy? I want to look at what this scripture says to us and encourages us in three different headings to look at encouragement for us. The first we find in verses 1 through 2, to be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Therefore, it says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he says, since you are beloved children, now that's your identity, you're a beloved child. It says in chapter 2 that you were children of, of wrath before. God's anger was on you for your sin. But it, you followed the prince of the power of the air. You followed the devil, he said. But now you follow your father who's in light. You walk toward the light. A question that we've been asking ourselves that we've been going through Ephesians where it, it hammers home so much. It talks about identity. We have to ask ourselves, all right, who am I? Who am I? Uh, the pastor, Paul Washer, he often says this. Someone will meet him for the first time or meet him on the plane, and, and someone will ask him, uh, well, what do you do? He says, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a husband. Oh, no, no, what do, what do, what do you do? I'm, I'm a father. I have two boys. You see... We usually find our identity so much in what we do maybe for work. Our identity is in Christ. After have to ask ourselves, who are we? Are we defined by our sin? Are we defined by our likes or sometimes our idolatry or our career or even our family? But again, it reminds us, all right, we're beloved children. And our example now isn't even our earthly fathers, our parents, though they were maybe good or bad, or models that we find in the media or news, celebrities. But we have God the Son and God the Father are our examples. Walk in love, he says, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He so just ties it to the gospel. Fragrant offering and sacrifice. This is a Old Testament language, right? We can think of the altar in the temple where there was burnt incense. This smell of incense burning in the Old Testament temple or in the tabernacle. Or the smell of, uh, the smell of even cooking meat as these animal sacrifices were oft, offered as a pleasing offering, aroma to God. Paul is saying that all, we all need to remember that the heart of Christianity is we are to live as a follower of Christ. And that pleases God. That pleases God just as Jesus' sacrifice for us was pleasing to him. That he did it all. That it's done. We don't need to earn our way with God. He atoned for all our sin. You see, when we see someone's sacrifice for, for us, when someone lives in such a selfless way and loves us, that really changes us. Um, it's like this. I don't know if some of you kids have read or are familiar with the uh, Harry Potter series, or many adults, I'm sure, like myself. Uh, the whole Harry Potter series, it hinges on this, on one act of self-sacrifice, right? As Lily Potter, Harry's mother, dies for her baby son, Harry. That sacrifice is so significant that it protects him. It marks him, gives him a scar that he lives with all the rest of his life. It marks his life forever. He's never the same. In the same way, it's for us as believers. That Christ's death for us, his love, his sacrifice for us has so marked us. He's 
made us children. And so, therefore, Paul encourages us to walk as imitators of Christ, to walk in the light of Christ by imitating God. That's our first point that Paul makes. Our second point, verses 3 through 8, he says to reject sinful partnerships. Reject sinful partnerships. You see this in verse 3 and 4 and following. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. He says for this not to be even named among you. No impurity. Not even a hint, one translation says. You see, that's because public sins dishonor God. Public sins dishonor God. We see this often, right, as we, in the news, we see maybe some Christian leader has again fallen, or some local pastor. Public sins dishonor God. It makes me think of Psalm 1, where he says, he's talking here, uh, all right, walk in the light. Don't ever walk with them. Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's this progression in this way of, all right, don't, don't act just like them. Don't walk in the way of darkness. Don't walk in the way that you used to walk. But it says in Psalm 1 that instead his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's walking in the freedom of and truth of the light. So he offers these, I think, three warnings about partnering with sinners. Three different partnerships that we can reject. There's impurity, sexual immorality. The second one is impure speech. And the last one is covetousness and greed. The first one, don't walk in the darkness of impurity. This is all... um, Intimacy outside of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And there's a reason why this sin is, is so weighty in the Bible, even when there's much shame attached to it in any culture. It a, gets at us in a deep way. It can be such a core, become a core and deep idolatry. He, Paul is writing to this, um, that a person who sins in this way is, sins against himself, against herself. Right? It's what... Um, pagans and Gentile sinners, even today, are known for, for living this way. Solomon warns us that uh, he who does it destroys himself. We live in a a culture more and more that's trying to uh, press this upon our children and ourselves. And we have to be always wary about how this could creep into our own hearts, our own homes and lives to put up protections for ourselves and our family of how we live this out. And if we are walking in this way as Christians, then what does it mean to walk in the darkness no more but walk into the light? It's, it's confession. It's confession where we can find freedom and healing that Christ offers us. There's full cleansing in Christ. We do this through walking in discipleship and accountability. Be involved in our missional community group where we're just really transparent. If you come to it, you know, and check it out, if you just want to, we're just really transparent about our 
our struggles, our joys, what's going on in our lives. And it's in discipleship, small group and one-on-one relationships with other believers where we can encourage each other toward this. 1 John 1.9, it says this. It encourages us that if we confess our sins, <laughs> he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Secondly, Paul also encourages us not to walk in the darkness of impure speech. He says, filthy talk, foolish, crude joking. We have to watch what we laugh at even as Christians, what we joke about, the shows we watch. If it says crude humor on the label of the show or the film, probably shouldn't be watching it. We have to be careful because as we watch Netflix or what we stream, so much of what we have out there is filled with this. It be, we soon can become so desensitized to it. Many of us maybe probably are desensitized to it. Where we can think of that Christians from the last 2,000 years, from every other century, would blush at the things that just advertisements on TV and things that we take for granted. But instead, Paul encourages us, God encourages us to be holy. That word holy means to be set apart. To be set apart. We have to ask ourselves, are we, are we different from the other people around us? Do I watch shows like everyone else does? You see, we, I think we need a vision for pure speech. That in our lives, that means so much. That we represent God. As we are walk out in holiness, we can see God's blessing in our lives. Instead of filthy talks that comes from anger, from impurity in our hearts, there is thanksgiving, he says. Thanksgiving is that, that fountain that bubbles up from our hearts into our lips and lives. That's a mark of a true Christian. I remember uh, often going on uh, mission trips growing up, or I served as a youth pastor um, for a decade, and taking youth and, and young adults and um, adult leaders on mission trips. And even working uh, different secular jobs that I worked. And I always, I would just wait and watch. When things happen, when we're on the mission field and see how easily people start complaining. When something goes wrong, when things are uncomfortable. To see who is really living by faith or really living by their feelings. And how so quickly everyone would, it was not Thanksgiving that was coming out of their lips. But Thanksgiving for the Christian should be that thing that bubbles up, the fountain. It's a mark of who we're saved that oh, we are beloved children, as it says. We have a Father who loves us. Jesus loved us and died for us. Lastly, third, Thing that he encourages against to not walk in the darkness of covetousness, of greed. It's a jealous longing for what others possess. Covetousness is the tenth commandment, and he mentions this both in verse 3 and verse 5. Uh, any covetousness must not even be named among you, he says. Verse 5, he says the same. If you who is immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, he says, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This is the 
keeping up with the Joneses. That so plagues us. Idolatry is finding God to be our status, our possessions. Idols such as comfort, significance through approval, through pleasure. Man, we have such a hard time with this in the West and in America, right? If we're really honest. You see, Tim Keller says something really interesting. He says, he says, Jesus warned people about greed actually far more than about sex. But no one thinks that they are guilty of it. I like how he says that. He says, greed is the one sin that no one thinks they're guilty of. Studies have shown this, actually. Studies that have, that have looked at all uh, economic uh, backgrounds. And every time, they, the research find that people... Wherever they were at, it asked, all right, who's wealthy? What does it mean to be wealthy? What does it mean to be well-off, to be rich? And it was all, every time people would answer it is, just a little bit more than I have. Just a little bit more than I have. No matter how much they had or how little they had. But instead, can we be content with what we have? Advertise us. Advertisements have us chasing superficial quick fixes to our true contentment. Oh, I need to have that lunch. I need to eat out. I need to have that Starbucks. I need to have that piece of clothing, the new iPhone. Our heart longs not for God, but for these things. The next thing that will satisfy the next relationship, maybe a different spouse, or if my spouse was just like this, or getting the job or the promotion, that's going to be what really satisfies me. And that is what idolatry is. Let's continue on. So he gives us these three warnings. And let's continue to look at this passage. Verse 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that the one who has walks in immorality or impurity, who is covetous, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. No inheritance. We, we might think, all right, wait, wait. I, I do these things. I struggle with these things. And that's true. I'll point the finger first on myself. But Paul is saying that these people find their identity in darkness. They are this. They don't just struggle with greed sometimes or covetousness or impurity, but they are that is what he's saying. You are actually a greedy person. An impure person is what he's saying. Not just you act like it, but you're, you're fighting it. As beloved children, we're, we're fighting it. We still struggle, yes. But we're saved by faith, not our works. If we Christ, we cannot lose our salvation. But that faith also that saves us changes us. That's what he's getting at. It changes us. So we walk in the light by rejecting these sinful partnerships, because we are children of God. We are children of the light. Lastly, Paul encourages us this, to expose the darkness, to expose the darkness of sin. We see this in verses 8 through 14. So we have to ask ourselves, all right, what does this mean then to walk in the light? That means also partly exposing the darkness. How do we do this? How do we do this? What does this look like? Verses 8 and 9 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So Paul is saying, all right, you can't act like you're still plugged into the matrix. You can't act like you're still walking in darkness because you've seen the light. You're a child of light now. We can't continue to walk in that like this, this woman did um, that I met driving for Lyft. He says, no, we're... And he reminds them, almost like, uh, like uh, people used to do uh, centuries past when someone would uh, faint or something and, oh, let me go get the, the smelling salts, you know, to wake, to wake them up, right? He talks about, all right, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. We need, he gives us this smelling salt to wake us up from our spiritual slumber. He says, all right, that there's, don't be deceived, that there's a wrath coming, that there's rewards for the righteous, and there's punishments for the wicked. There's wrath that's coming. There's a, a reckoning, a final judgment. You see, you can't be like in the days of Noah, like this woman in Lyft is going out at business as usual as if there's not going to be judgment, as if there's no consequences also in this world for sin. We're going to be held accountable for every action and thought, every affection of our hearts. He's saying you were darkness, but don't act like this anymore. Paul encourages us in Galatians that God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. For us as believers, we know that our eternal standing is settled with God. But there are consequences in this life. There's consequences to continuing to walk on in darkness. But instead, he says, all right, instead of that, live in the light, pursuing goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness. Goodness is just the general Christian quality and virtue that it exudes from a caring character, generosity toward others. Righteousness is a right living, living out of the righteousness that by faith in God has already given us. Truth. Truth is the reality that aligns with God, with his purposes, with his character. Verses 10, it says that, all right, this, by doing this, we're going to please the Lord. We're going to please the Lord. It's a joy to do this. Like a good bride that it's a joy to please the bridegroom, Jesus. The Christian, naturally, we want to walk in the light. Desires not to go back to the slops, not to walk in darkness, but to please the Lord and Master who gave his all for us. How else do we do this, though? How else do we expose the darkness in our own lives? We do it in our own lives, but we also do it in the lives of others, our brothers and sisters, gently, lovingly. We confront the darkness in our brothers and sisters. 11 through 14 says, But take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's even shameful, for it is shameful even to speak of what things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. There's accountability that we walk in in the church. For some of us, I ask you, are there people who know that you can share and real, be real with? What are your innermost thoughts? What's your heart condition? Are there people who know you so fully? I love that uh, uh, Augustine 
said that. He's like a real friendship. A real friend is someone who knows you fully, but still loves you and accepts you. Ultimately, we find that in Christ. But in the church, we find that as we walk toward the light by showing, all right, here's the darkness that is in our hearts. This is what is the reality of what's there. It's a huge danger for us if we don't have relationships that we can be real with. People who know us well enough, know what's going on. Then we're in danger. If not in community, if not in accountability relationships within a local church. Instead, we are woken from our sinful sleep. Verse 14. It's a chance to die to sin and live to God. Uh, this, uh, some scholars think, is maybe a, a baptismal hymn. Right here, it's a picture of our old life dying as we go down in the waters of baptism and rising to newness in Christ and walking with Jesus, what he has done for us. Christ comes and sheds his light in our lives. And we have a chance to do that also in the lives of others, both in the church and out the church. Living as children of light is something that we work out, but it's already because we're already that. We're already children of light. That's our identity. And as we remember, friends, remember that truth of who we are, our identity as children begins to sink more and more into our hearts. It begins to massage in our hearts and souls more. It's like a healthy apple tree will produce tasty, crunchy, sweet apples. A freshwater spring cannot produce salt water. A man who has woke up fresh for the day, has no need to go to sleep again, to take a nap, because the Son of God is shining on him. So we walk away from the dark shadows. We, ex- we expose the shadow within us, because we still walk with it, right? I know I do every day, but we walk toward the light of Christ. And we let his sacrifice, his love for us, his light transform us. Like someone... Um, you know, you could always tell uh, when a Midwesterner has Chicago and has, uh, you know, gone through a winter, right? And uh, <laughs> you see my our pale skin. Is it the same thing for someone who maybe lives in Hawaii or Florida? Like someone who spends hours each day working outside or, or living in a, in a nice climate, walking by the beach. You guys see what they look like. You're going to see that health, the vitality. You're going to see that tanness maybe of their skin. The same way that we can walk out in that. I want to close with this illustration of how uh, the enormous transformation that it takes place as when we realize that we are a new identity in Christ, that we have been made children of light by the sacrifice of Jesus who loved us and sacrificed himself for us. Ernest Gordon was a uh, Scottish... POW, prisoner of war, during uh, World War II. And he tells of his experiences at the hands of the Japanese as he and his fellow soldiers were forced to work on the Burma-Siam Railway. The cost of the construction of the railway was astronomical. There were, for every, each mile of track that was laid, there were 393 fatalities. For each mile that was laid, 393 fatalities. Prisoners labored in inhumane jungle conditions. There was the oppressive heat, tropical diseases, stinging insects, inadequate food, clothing, shelter as exposed workers to the harsh elements of the Thai jungle. 
prisoner-on-prisoner crime was rampant. Even people who were their fellow prisoners, they would turn on each other. They descended basically into what he describes as a kind of hell. And this is what he writes. He says, as conditions steadily worsened, starvation, exhaustion, disease took its ever-growing toll. The atmosphere in which we lived was increasingly poisoned by selfishness, by hatred and fear. We were slipping rapidly into a scale of degradation. We lived by the rule of the jungle, survival of the fittest. It was a case of, I'm just going to look out for myself and no one else. The weak were trampled underfoot. The sick were just ignored, pushed aside or resented, and the dead were just forgotten. And then one day, everything changed. He writes, at the end of each day, all the tools would be collected by the work party. And on one occasion, this uh, Japanese guard shouted, starts shouting, he's like, there's a shovel missing. Who stole the shovel? Who stole it? And he points his rifle at them and says, all right, you're all going to die unless I give me the shovel. Where's the shovel? He begins to rant and rave. And then at that moment, one man steps forward, and the guard clubs him to death with his rifle as everyone stood silently to attention. When they returned to the camp, the tools were counted again, and no shovel was missing. Word of this spread like wildfire through the whole camp. An innocent man was willing to step forward and die for everyone else. And this one man's selfless sacrifice revolutionized the whole atmosphere of this camp. Many sought out answers of how to prepare for death and to really meet God. Ernest Gordon became the unofficial camp chaplain. The men began to treat each other as brothers with care and kindness. Gordon describes the effect. He says this, he says, he writes, death was still with us, but we are slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between forces that made for life and those that made for death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-intelligence, laziness, and pride were anti-life. But love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, creative faith were the essence of life, turning the existence that we had, even though how terrible it was, into true gifts from God. When the allies came and liberated them, instead of taking vengeance on their former captors, the POW stood over them and said, no more hatred, no more killing. What we need now is forgiveness. You see, sacrificial love has this transforming power. The light casts out the darkness. Because of one man's sacrifice, in your lives too, my friends, in our lives, everything changes. So Paul encourages us to be imitators of God, to reject sinful partnerships, and to expose the darkness of the truth as we walk in his light. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you um, for this word. We pray that we would have the gospel seep into our hearts, all the nooks and crannies of our lives, that the light would shine. And just the darkest part, there'd be relationships and people that we can bring darkness of our sin or our past in the light and walk out in the light to be active as living out as children of God 
knowing that that's the identity that you've already given us. We're thankful for your love. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.